Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you may be seated. Hallelujah. Why don't we start this morning in John chapter 14. We um, started a, a series some time ago, uh, a couple of weeks back, that uh, for lack of a better name, we're calling the name of Jesus. We have other, uh, another, at least one other series uh, at the, uh, in the bookstore and available that we've entitled the name of Jesus, but we're sure going a different direction on this than, uh, than we do, did the other. So maybe we'll change the name of it somewhere down the road, I don't know. Names and titles don't mean much to me anyway, but this is a service that I've got way too much to say. I've just got way too much in my heart to get out in one, uh, in one message, and uh, that's why I pray that the Lord would uh, draw the things from my heart that are important to, to speak this morning. This would be a good day just to order in food and just eat through, <laughs> preach and eat through both lunch and dinner. Uh, that's, that's the way I feel about this. So don't worry, I'm, I'm conscious of the time. We won't do that, and, and uh, we'll let you out in time to take care of what you need to do. But, uh, uh, but I do have a lot of things on my heart to, to share with you, things that the Lord is, is dealing with me about. So I'm, I'm going to try... Uh, trying my best. I know that one of the criticisms people have, one of the many criticisms people have about me is that I talk too fast. Well, the only time in my life that I talk too fast is when I'm teaching. The rest of the time you can go to sleep while I'm having a conversation. <laughs> but I get excited about the things that I'm saying. I get excited about the things that the Lord is, is revealing to me. So if I start going too fast, just raise your hand or something. <laughs> Because I'm really, in, I intend to go slow enough to where, where um, I can take you into some things that the Lord's taken me in. Because I, I'm seeing some things about Jesus and the name of Jesus and who we are that, that um, uh, I can't say that I've never seen them before, never been aware of them before. But it's like I've heard them, but now I see them, you know. So, uh, so let's start in John chapter 14. The Gospel of John is very dear to me because John is writing this at the end of his life, knowing that the other three Gospels are out there, knowing that Paul's letters to the church are out there. Uh, John is writing this some 60 odd, some odd years, 60 or more years after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And um, uh, all the other letters, all the other, the, the, uh, the four Gospels, the three Gospels, three other Gospels are out there. John, Paul's letters are out there. Peter's letters are out there. The only thing that's not out there is uh, uh, that we understand is that uh, uh, the, what we know of is the book of Revelation, the revelation you had of the end. And as such, John seems to be tying up loose ends before he goes home to be with Jesus. And it's, uh, it's almost as if, or it seems to me as if, that, uh, that John is saying, okay, there are things that, uh, that I've been living on for 60 years and things that, uh, that the church doesn't know that they need to know before I leave. And so he tells us some things that some of the other gospel writers do not relate to and do not refer to. He, he doesn't focus on many of the things that they do and focuses on other things that nobody else tells us about. And for that reason, the uh, particularly the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th chapters of John are very, very dear to me because it was Jesus last night with his disciples. The 17th chapter of John is uh, Jesus' prayer, and, and there's a lot that we can get from that. But particularly the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of John is John telling about the last night that he spent with Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question, real question, not, not trying to trick anybody. With your knowledge of the 14th, the 15th, and the 16th chapters of John, what would you say was Jesus' overriding theme? Anybody want to try? Well, a good guess would be the name of Jesus. But let me back up just a little bit further. He gives us wonderful information more information than anybody else does about the name of jesus the most comprehensive information about the name of jesus stuff that john tells us that hadn't been out there for 60 years at least not in the form that he, that he delivers it not in the way that he tells us jesus told them the last night that he was there but let me go back a little bit further let's break it down just a little bit further why that night why hadn't jesus been telling them about his name all through the time he's been with them why was it the night that Jesus was betrayed that he goes into such detail and gives us such information, such uh, comprehensive information about his name and what to do when he's gone and so forth? Well, the answer is simple, and that is because he's going to the Father. John 14, 15, and 16 is about Jesus going to the Father. 
He starts off in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He skips down another verse or two and he says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'm coming back to you. In other words, everything that he says in the 14, 15th, and 16th chapters, everything that we know about the name of Jesus is because he's going to the Father. Now, why did he go to the Father? What's the purpose for going to the Father? There's only one reason Jesus left the earth and went to the Father. And remember, he said, it's better for you that I go. So the condition where he went to the Father, the condition that we have now because he went to the Father, is better than they had when he was here on the earth. Now that's contrary and foreign to most Christians' thinking. Most Christians think, of, oh, if only I could have lived when Jesus was here on the earth. Jesus said, that wasn't as good as what you've got now. Now you can argue with him if you want to when you get to heaven. Take it up with him if you disagree. But that's what he said. He said, it's better for you that I go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Ghost can't come. So you having the Holy Ghost in you is better than them having Jesus with them. Available to do whatever it is they needed him to do and so forth. Why did Jesus go to the Father? To create a relationship for you with God. John chapter 14 verse uh, 11. Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you. Anytime verily, verily is there, it's Jesus making a point, saying, listen, this is the truth, and you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because, because, I go on to my Father. Now, most of the time, the church world, at least in my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but it seems to me most people that ever find that verse in the Bible focus on the greater works part. We get dazzled by the greater works. The works that I do shall he do also. Most of the church world skips over that because Jesus healed. But they focus in on the greater works. Oh, greater works, greater works, greater works. Do greater works. See, we can get people saved. Well, we can. And I'm not sure if that's the greater works that Jesus is talking about. But even if it is, that's great. But he still said we'd do the same works too. Which includes healing the sick. Setting people free. But you know the important part of that verse? Jesus never emphasized works. Never. In fact, he just said a couple of verses before talking to Philip. He said, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe me for the work's sake. In other words, you let the works let you cause you to believe that I'm in the Father. He's emphasizing the Father, not the works. The works should be the proof. The works should be the evidence. The works should be the sign that you should know this. But here's what you need to know, that I'm in the Father. Jesus never made a big deal about the works other than the fact that they pointed to the fact that the Father was in him. So what's he emphasizing here? Because I go to my Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Works, yeah. Greater works, yeah. Because I go to the Father. In other words, he's saying the works are going to be available, and even stuff that you haven't seen yet, because of the relationship that I'm going to create for you with the Father. Next verse. Verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask, the word ask doesn't mean to beg, doesn't even mean to pray about. It means to call for or require. Literally, it means to demand. Whatever you call for, require, or make a demand on in my name, that's what I'll do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. You know why Jesus said he had honored his name? You know why Jesus said he'd fulfill whatever we called for or required in his name? To glorify the Father. Not even for the sake of the works. To glorify the Father. He goes on and re-emphasizes. If you shall ask, same word, call for, require, demand, anything in my name, I will do it. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. You know, there's a, there's a, 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 you don't have to turn here. I take for granted that you know the verse over in uh, Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the 70. He tells them whatever town they go into, uh, preach the gospel. And if the people will receive, um, uh, tell about the kingdom of God is what he said. Heal the sick and so forth. If the people will receive you in that town. If they won't, turn away and leave the town and, and so forth. Shake the dust of your feet off against them. 
uh, notwithstanding tell them that the kingdom of God came to them they rejected it in other words let them know that they're the ones that missed out on it it wasn't a matter of it not being God's will it says the 70 returned with great joy saying Lord even the devils are subject unto us in your name Jesus never said a word about casting out devils but they found out that the name of Jesus that he had authorized them to use when they went into these cities and, he, and, and really if you go back and look in Luke chapter 10 he never said use my name he never said, use my name. He just said, preach the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. But they came back and saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. And Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. And he, then he said in Luke 10, 19, he said this. He said, behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. In other words, he's saying, the power that you use to cast out devils extends to all the power of the devil. You can break any and every aspect of the devil's work. But then he makes another statement. Usually we start re stop reading at the end of verse 19. But verse 20 is, has become so important to me. It's something the Lord keeps dealing with me about over and over again. And he said, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the devils are subject unto you. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, can I ask you a question? I mean, just throw away re your religious thinking for a minute. Can I ask you a question? Would not 99.99% of the church world be jumping up and down, dancing in circles if the devil was subject to them? I mean, isn't that the thing that the church world wants? Is to know that the devil is subject to them? Yet Jesus said, you need to focus on the fact that your names are written in heaven. Now, folks, Jesus didn't, didn't just say stuff casually. What he said, there was a purpose to why in the world would he say, don't rejoice that the devil is subject to you? Isn't that one of the things he said would be a result of believing in his name? I mean, is he, is he disparaging the fact that there's power over the devil? Well, then if he is, then why did he just tell him in the preceding verse that he gave him power or authority over all the devil's power? Why is he saying rejoice because your names are written in heaven? Because of the same things he told him in John 14. 15 and 16 the whole point is i'm going to the father the point is not the use of my name the point is i'm going to my father so you have the name to use i, I really um well I'm, I'm hoping to be able to get some things out it seems to me that the the way the modern day church uses the name of jesus is nothing more than just proof. It's like it's a good luck charm. It's like it's a, it's a magic phrase. It's like it's the equivalent of abracadabra. And it seems to me that it's nothing more, the way the modern day church uses the name of Jesus, is nothing more than evidence. Proof, if you will, that we don't know who, the, who we are in Christ. Because we use it for everything. We know we're supposed to use it in prayer, so every prayer has to end in the name of Jesus. Now, folks, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not even saying we're doing the wrong thing. I'm saying we're not recognizing what we're doing. I'm guilty of it, too. For example, we've got the idea, that somehow or another, I don't know if it's ever been taught this way or not. I, I don't think I've ever taught it this way. But I've come up with the same idea most everybody else has. And that is, even God's Word won't work if you don't use the name of Jesus. For example, the Old Testament, God said, if you serve the Lord, here's the Old Testament promise under the Old Covenant. He said, if you serve the Lord, I'll bless your bread and water and I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. Well, serving the Lord under the Old Covenant was keeping the law. We don't keep the law because we're in Christ Jesus. There's only one law and that's the law of love. So what do we do? I say that over my food. I use that as the blessing over my food. Thank you, Father, for blessing my bread and water and for taking sickness from the midst of us in the name of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God not answer or keep his word unless he hears that magic phrase in the name of Jesus? Well, why do we say it? We're not consciously thinking, wait a minute, in the name of Jesus means I'm in Christ. We don't think that. It's like we add it on as some magic token, as some good luck charm. It's like the same as rubbing the lamp. Now maybe we'll get what we want. 
But folks, I want you to understand some, th some things. And, and this is what the Lord is dealing with me about. The name of Jesus is something that you are in, not something that you have. It's something that you're in, not something that you have. Look with me over to, um, let's start in the book of Acts. Look with me over to Acts chapter 2. We know that the disciples are born again. The Acts chapter 2 tells us about when they're um, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches after the Holy Spirit comes upon them and fills all of them. They spill off into the street and everybody hears them speaking in tongues. And they hear, some people hear them speaking in languages that they understand and, and, uh, and so forth. And, and so there was a miracle going on on both ends. The miracle of the Holy Ghost being poured out and the miracle of what people were hearing. By the way, it does not say that the, this, that the, the 120 spoke the tongues that the people heard. It just says that they heard them. So it's possible that they could have been speaking foreign languages, but it's also possible they could have been speaking in an unknown language and the people heard them in their own languages. Could have been a miracle in the ear just as much as a miracle in the, in the tongue. But it, goes, it tells about how Peter preached. Peter tells this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel in the last days and so forth. And, uh, and he gets down to the end of his preaching. And the people... Uh, let's start in verse 37 it says now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart this is the people in the, in the streets that were hearing the preaching they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do please notice Peter's answer notice also speaking in tongues didn't get anybody saved it got their attention so that they'd listen to the preaching so Peter says to conclude his message here's how to act on what he's been preaching Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the church world, for hundreds of years, has been arguing about how to baptize people. You'll have some people that say, well, we only baptize in the name of Jesus. And here's the proof text for that. There are other proof texts that say that you should baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so the church has argued back and forth, what formula do we use when we dunk somebody in water or pour some water over their head? And that has nothing to do with what Peter is saying or what the Holy Ghost is trying to get, ac get across. He's saying, repent and be baptized. Baptized doesn't have anything to do with water in this case. He's talking about being immersed or engulfed in the name of Jesus. In other words, get saved. Repent and be saved. Is what Peter is saying. Repent and be saved. And salvation is considered to be being baptized in the name of Jesus. And then he goes further and says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now why does he talk about the gift of the Holy Ghost? Because that's what they heard when they heard him speaking in tongues. So he's talking about two things here. He's saying repent and be baptized. Repent and be saved. Become part of the family of God through the name of Jesus. And secondly, following that, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let's look a little bit further and see how the name of Jesus was used in the book of Acts. Or in the early part of the, of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together at the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. He's asking for an offering. Can you give me some money? And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Something means silver or gold. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Doesn't mean, he, doesn't mean he was broke. It means he didn't take money with him to the temple. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now we take scriptures like this, we meaning the church world, take scriptures like this and we think, okay, with everything you do, you do in the name of Jesus. Well, Peter certainly used the name of Jesus here, didn't he? And he, lift, he took him up by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Everybody comes together. In verse 12, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Why, you men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Now, I'll stop here long enough just to say, and I say almost every time that I come through this part of the Scripture, 
Most of the church world thinks that the, the disciples or the apostles healed because they had special power or because they were apostles and they had a special place with God. And those are the two things Peter said was not the case. He said, what are you looking at us for? We don't have special power. Well, they ought to know, shouldn't they? Well, why does the church world say they had power we don't have then? They said they didn't. Peter, speaking for both of them, said they didn't. Why look ye on us as if by our own power or our own holiness, meaning we're not any more holy than, than other Christians, we don't have any more power than other Christians, it's not our power or our holiness that made this man to walk. Well, then what did it, Peter? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you has delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when you was determined to let him go. Isn't that what Jesus said he'd do regarding his name? He said, whatever you call for or require in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Peter just said the Father was glorified in his son Jesus. How? By the use of the name. He goes further in verse 16, and he said, In his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. It tells us as a result of these things, he goes on in verse 19 and tells the, those people that are, that are hearing and seeing what happened to repent. And then it says in chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So what did the use of the name of Jesus produce? People being saved. Or, if we use Bible terms, people being baptized into the name of Jesus. People being baptized in the name of Jesus. So then, therefore, can we not say with certainty that the use of the name of Jesus as identified in, ver in chapter 3 of Acts, the healing of the man at the beautiful gate of the temple, can we not say that it was done in connection with or to bring about an evangelistic purpose? What I want you to see, folks, is this is not Peter using the name of Jesus in his own life. This is, Je this is Peter using the name of Jesus for the work that God has called him to do. Now, who can do this? Who can use the name of Jesus in the same way? Anybody that God has either called to do the same thing that he called Peter to do or moves upon in a certain situation, any instance, any specific instance to do it. But I would submit to you something. Peter's passed this guy before. He's laid daily at the beautiful gate of the temple. Peter has seen this guy every time he's ever walked through this beautiful gate. Why this day? The only answer I have to that is this is the day the Holy Ghost prompted him to do it. Well, why didn't the Holy Ghost prompt him to do it the day before? Now, you can get religious on me and say, well, maybe there wasn't as big a crowd that day. Well, that's hardly fair to the crippled man, though, is it? He's got to stay crippled one more week so they can have a big crowd? Thanks a lot, God. That's not consistent with the character and the nature of God. Why this day? Because that's the day the Holy Ghost moved upon Peter to do it. That's the only answer I've got. If anybody else has got a better one, please, I'm all ears to hear it. But I'll tell you right now, there's no way you can prove it. Acts chapter 4. 5,000 people get saved as a result of this effort. They come, they're brought before the religious leaders, the same group that crucified Jesus just a couple of months before. Verse 7, when they had set Peter and John in the midst of them, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? They know that it takes something more than the average person has. So they identify this power as to be special power that someone may have been given. And if so, they want to know where it came from and how they get it. Or a name that they don't have access to that does things that they can't do. So they said, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Wait a minute, I thought he was filled in Acts chapter 2. Wasn't he part of the 120 that, that was filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues? Well, he had to be because he's the one that's doing the preaching in, in chapter 2. He's the one telling everybody what this is. So what does this mean? This means that the Holy Ghost moved on him. It's not talking about filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's saying the Holy Ghost moved upon him 
again, just like he did, in my opinion, in chapter 3, to use the name of Jesus to heal the guy at the gate. So apparently, the principle that we're seeing is, even though God may have called somebody to a ministry work, it's still dependent on the Holy Ghost inspiring or directing them to do the work. Wouldn't you have to agree? It's impossible to disagree. I mean, you could speculate otherwise, but there's no way you can prove it. But we've got Bible evidence that the Holy Ghost is moving on Peter to do certain things at certain moments of time. Why? Because Jesus made a way to the Father. I don't doubt one moment that it has something to do with the work, specifically the call or the ministry gift that God has placed upon Peter. But God is no respecter of persons. If he's going to use Peter in a certain way, that means he could use anybody in a certain way, that same certain way. So Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, in Acts chapter 3, he was moved, on by, moved by the Holy Ghost to speak to the guy to raise him up in the name of Jesus. Now he speaks to them because he's moved by the Holy Ghost. And said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, crippled man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Now, folks, I would remind you that that's exactly what Jesus said he would do in John chapter 14. He said, The works that I do, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you call for, require, or demand in my name, I will do it. If you call for, require, or demand anything in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what is Peter saying? He's saying Jesus did what we made a demand on his name to do. I'll add this in my own parenthesis because we were moved on by the Holy Ghost to do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son so that Jesus, the one you crucified, can be shown to everyone as the one raised from the dead, the Son of God raised from the dead. Even by him, the name equals him. Even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Now, folks, stop there for a minute because I don't want to get you off track. I don't want you to start going down the track. Look at what the name of Jesus does when you use the magic phrase in the name of Jesus. I don't want you going down that track. I know that's the way we normally think. What I want you to realize is this. You are in the name of Jesus. The Bible, Paul, by the Holy Ghost, called you Christ. He called the world unbelievers or infidels, and he called you Christ. How in the world could Paul, by the Holy Ghost, God's the one saying it, not Paul. How could Paul, by the Holy Ghost, call you and me Christ when we know better? Based on the way we see ourselves behave. We think our behavior determines who we are, and it has nothing to do with it. God sees you as Christ. You know why? Because your life is hid with him in hid in with Christ in God Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 say this it says if you be risen with Christ set your affection on things that are above not on things of the earth it goes on in verse 2 and says the same thing set your affection on things above verse 3 says why for your life is hid with Christ in God your life you are hid with Christ in God you know the best way to hide a glass? In a swimming pool. You know why? Because the glass takes on the water of the swimming pool and disappears. That's your life in God. Through Christ Jesus. You're the glass that was cleaned up by salvation. The water is the spirit of God that comes in you. And you are in God because you are in Christ. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Why do we therefore need some kind of special badge or special formula like the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, to make the things of God who lives in us work? You don't. In fact, what the Bible talks about in the name of Jesus, doing things in the name of Jesus is a lot different than the way we use it. Let's go back to the story. Paul says, by the name of Jesus whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. You thought Jesus to be nothing, but he's become the, the foundation of the church. 
neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What is Peter talking about related to the, the healing miracle that was performed in the name of Jesus? Salvation. In other words, every time, that and, and the Holy Ghost moved on Peter. I'm glad Peter didn't have this to say on his own because now we can say this isn't Peter's attitude. This is the Holy Ghost inspiring Peter about what to say at this point in time. What did the Holy Ghost inspire Peter to say? The Holy Ghost inspired Peter to not focus on the works, say Jesus is the one that did it because we used his name, but it's about the name of Jesus that makes you one with the Father. Skip with me over to uh, verse 17. Here's the council's determination. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Can I ask you a question? What are they talking about? That they don't speak to anybody in this name. What does that mean? It can't mean speak to the crippled man. That's not what caused the problem. If it had just been one man being healed and nobody else taking notice of it, no big deal. Let's move on. Nothing to see here. But the fact was, 5,000 people got saved because of the preaching of Peter that it wasn't our power, it wasn't our holiness, it was Jesus who was crucified. He's the one that matters. So what they're calling speaking or teaching to anybody in this name means, in this context, means preach to anybody about Jesus being raised from the dead. Doesn't it? If that's not what they taught, there's no way for 5,000 5, of the people around the temple to get saved. Salvation depends on two things. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing Him as Lord. You can't believe that if you don't hear it. So they couldn't have gotten saved unless they heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead and instructed to confess Him as their Lord and Savior. In other words, they couldn't have been made a part of the family of God, couldn't have come into and been baptized in the name of Jesus or into the name of Jesus unless that's what they preached. And notice what the Pharisees, the council, religious council called that. Don't speak or teach to anybody in this name. In other words, in the name of Jesus does not just mean using the phrase in the name of Jesus. It means proclaiming Jesus as the risen Savior. It means telling anybody about Jesus. Anytime you say anything about Jesus to identify who he is, you're using the name of Jesus. But we don't think like that. We think the name of Jesus is a special little magic phrase that you've got to use at the right time in the right situation. It's not. That's why you, the Bible say, says, tells very specifically, that's why the Bible says we are in the name of Jesus. What do you mean we're in the name of Jesus? Does that mean we're telling people about Jesus? No, it means you're alive. And the only reason you're alive is because you're in the name of Jesus. I'm talking about spiritual life. I'm not talking about natural life. I'm not talking about the only reason you're breathing. I'm talking about the only reason you have eternal life is because you're in the name of Jesus. Nobody outside of that name of Jesus can have eternal life. Let's keep reading. Verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Again, I'll have to ask you the question, does that mean don't ever use the phrase in the name of Jesus? No, it means a whole lot more about than that. It means don't ever tell anybody about Jesus again. Don't talk about him. Don't teach about him. Forget him. They pray that God would give them boldness. And that signs and wonders would be done in the name of the Lord Jesus so that you can see which way they're going. Let's start reading in verse, uh, uh, where do we want to go here? Let's go back down to chapter 5. I want to read this story. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy or part of it, part of the plan. And brought a certain part and laid it to the, at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land. If we stop reading there, we'd think it was wrong for him to hold back part of the price of the land. But that's not what Peter is saying. He's saying, while it remained, was it not your own? 
In other words, didn't you have the right to do with it what you wanted to? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? In other words, you could have given a little, you could have given a lot, you could have given all of it, you could have given none of it. It's up to you. Why don't you lie to the Holy Ghost about it? Ananias must have been trying to gain a place in the church by acting like he was doing more than he was doing. He said, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Can I ask you a question? Where did, Jesus, where did Peter use the phrase, In the name of Jesus? Now, folks, things seem to work differently now than they did back then in certain respects. People don't seem to die instantly by lying to the Holy Ghost anymore. If that were the case, we wouldn't have a congregation to preach to. It's not saying lying to the Holy Ghost is an okay thing to do. I still recommend against it. But how could a miraculous work like this take place and Peter not use the name of Jesus? I thought it was the magic phrase. I thought only God does things when he hears in the name of Jesus. Apparently that's not the way it works. How could Peter say what he said? Again, he has to be prompted by the Holy Ghost. He has to have something uh, revealed to him by the Holy Ghost because how is he going to know whether or not Ananias is giving the whole thing or lying in the first place? It's got to be supernatural revelation taking place here, right? Has to be. Now, with this supernatural revelation, Peter just calls him to record for what really took place. Why did you lie about it? You could have done anything you wanted to. You didn't have to lie. And so there must be some underlying motive to try to gain some kind of place or some kind of um, prominence in the church or whatever. The preceding verses at the end of chapter 4 tell about how Barnabas gave goods and everybody magnified him, and, and it was something God had for him to do. Ananias and Sapphira seem to be trying to do the same thing Barnabas did to get the same results, but God's not leading them to do it. So the Holy Ghost tells off on them. He reveals to Peter what's going on, and Peter just calls him to record on it. He said, you've not lied unto men, but unto the Holy Ghost. And Ananias fell dead at his feet. Now about three hours later, they're still in church, Please keep that in mind. <laughs> about three hours later, verse 7, it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in her. Women are always late to church. It's always been the case. I guess there was plenty of room to be late for their church. And Peter answered, she didn't know what was, done, what was done, she came in. And Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. In other words, he asked, are you a party to the same lie that your husband told? Well, she didn't know what's going on. She knows what her, she and her husband have agreed to say. So she said, yeah, that's what we sold it for. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And if I was one of those young men, I'd say, wait a minute. Why, can't we not take all, care of all this at once? How many times the trips are we going to have to make on this stuff? Where did Peter use the name of Jesus? How can this possibly be happening if the name of Jesus is not being used? Folks, the name of Jesus is being used, just not the magic phrase. Remember we looked last week, Paul wrote to the church, he said, whatever you do, do in word or deed, do in the name of Jesus. Guess what? That's the easiest thing for you to do. That doesn't mean you're supposed to use this phrase in the name of Jesus for everything you do. It means you're supposed to realize I am in Jesus and he's in me. There's no way to separate you from Jesus it's impossible to separate you from Jesus because he's in you and you're in him. It's impossible to, to separate you from God because you're in Jesus and Jesus is in God, which means you're in God. It's impossible to separate you. Now, that's the thing that the Lord keeps dealing with me about. Quit trying to use some magic phrase because every time we do, it's like we're putting on the, the final touch on something and it's like, okay, this is what's going to make God hear us. Seriously? He gave you a son. So it's going to take some magic phrase in the name of Jesus to make him hear you? Seriously? 
Now, folks, I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. Because I'm, I'm the world's worst. Well, maybe not, I'm, I'm bad. I'm bad at this, too. I'll catch myself, I'll use the name of Jesus in a prayer five times. And I'll ask myself afterward and say, why did I do that? It's something we get in such a habit of saying, and it doesn't mean anything to us. It becomes a repetitive thing, and it really doesn't have any meaning. But if we stop and we say, wait a minute, I'm in Jesus. I am the name of Jesus. My life is the name of Jesus, because he's in me and I'm in him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we have the power in and of ourselves. I'm saying that power is in, in us. Remember, that's what Paul prayed that we'd see. One of the things he prayed was that we would see the exceeding greatness of his power which works in us. If you're not in the name of Jesus, that power is not in you. But if you are in the name of Jesus, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then that means you are in Christ and that power cannot fail to be in you. Can I use a silly illustration? I, I'm, I'm sorry for using this. I've thought about it and I, I, I just can't come up with a better one. Some of you know that I drive a Tesla, an electric car. It's a different machine. And there were a lot of things about it that I didn't understand and had to learn and, and so forth. Well, I've had it for almost two years, not quite, but almost two years. And, uh, and, and, and there are a lot of things that I've noticed that cars have incorporated that were in this car when I first got it. But at the time that I got it, there were a lot of things that it didn't, I didn't see anybody else's car do, any other type of car do. Well, I, when, I, when I got it, I'm still learning how it works. I've had it for about a month, I guess. and uh, So there were certain places that I decided I'm not going to, whenever I go to the mall or something like that, or, or at least certain malls, I'll always valet park it because I don't want to take a chance on getting it dinged up. It's just, you know, it's, it's precious to me. And so I took it in, and, and uh, when I took it to the valet, uh, it was brand new. Nobody had them. It was one of the earlier ones that were made, and, and, uh, and so nobody had one. So I took it to the valet guy, and I got out of the car, and I said, do you know how to drive this? Because I didn't. When I started, I didn't know how to drive it. And the first guy I came to, honest young kid, he said, no, I've, I've heard about those cars, but I don't know anything about it. He said, there's a parking place right over there in front. Why don't you just put it there? <laughs> he didn't want anything to do with it. And I gave him a big tip. I thought, thank you for being honest. One of the next couple of guys I got was another young guy, and boy, he acted like he was Mr. Carr. He knew everything. Oh, yeah, I've seen these. These are so cool. I've seen these. I know all about these. I've read up on them. I know all about them. And I'm thinking, well, you may have read up on them, but that doesn't mean you know how to drive it. The difference in driving, reading the driving handbook and driving, you know? So I said, uh, I knew immediately this guy is full of hot air. Do not, I mean, red flags going off. Do not give this kid your car. So I got out of the car. I still had the key in my pocket. And, uh, and I got out of the car, and, and uh, I said, well, okay, show me then. If you know how to drive this, show me. So he got in, sat down in the car, and there's no on-off switch for my car. It reads you. And so he's sitting in there, and he's looking around, and he's saying, how do you turn it on? Well, that told me all I needed to know about this kid, you know. He said, how do you turn it on? Well, you don't turn it on. It's the operation, the normal operation of driving. Literally, it's pushing the, gap, the, pushing the, the brake pedal to change gears. But when you get in my car, the only way that it works is not by a button, is not by a key. It, uh, it's got a key, but it, well, looks like this. It's a little car-shaped type thing. But it, there's no place to plug a key in or anything like that. So this kid gets in, and he's looking how to turn the car on because he's sitting there and he's dead. Folks, a dead electric car is a paperweight. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. So he's doing everything. He's looking around. He's pushing, pulling, different things like this. And nothing's working. So he said, how do you turn it on? Well, there are things about my car that only owners know. I can walk up to my car, and it will read the key in my pocket and present the door handles. If I don't have the key in my pocket, you can stand there and beat on the thing, every aspect, every, every inch of the thing, and nothing happens. You can't get into this car. But with the key, it reads and presents the door handles. They pop out for you. You open the door, and there you go. And to make it work, you just take the normal steps of driving. You put your foot on the brake to change gears, and then you go. Now, there's no magic phrase for the car. I don't have to get in and say, in the name of Tesla. <laughs> it's the normal operation of driving. 
In other words, I have to assume that it's going to do what it's supposed to do, even though I can't tell its own. Because unless you've got the air conditioner going, the fan's running, there's no sound to it whatsoever. There's no motor to grind or, or starter to grind or anything like that, and no noise whatsoever. There's no way to know. I've, uh, there's uh, somebody in my neighborhood that is a thorn in our side, just try to cause all kinds of trouble, complain about our dogs and stuff like that. They were riding their bike one day, and I came up behind them. There's no noise to my car. <laughs> I'm just inching on. They're, ri they're riding their bike right in the middle of the street. I'm just inching along right there. Well, something caught their eye, and they turned around, and they almost fell off their bike. <laughs> I just waved. Hey, I could have run over them. I didn't. Well, okay, I think that the, the car illustration, I think it fits like this. There are a lot of Christians that don't know what belongs to them, even though they're owners. The key is like the name of Jesus. I am in Christ. I get in the car because of what belongs to me. Now, I can do whatever I want to with the car. I can drive it to the right places. I can drive it to the wrong places. I can drive it in places that get me in trouble, but I'm still in the car. Or I can sit there and not know anything about how the car works or what belongs to me because I'm an owner of the car, and sit there and never move a peg. And I think that's what a lot of Christians do. I think a lot of Christians are sitting in the car and finally get out and try to push it. Because they don't know who they are and they don't know what they're in. Now when you make this car go, it goes. Now young people, always obey the speed limits. I'm not saying I ever speed or anything like that. But this car, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rocket. It's an absolute rocket, if you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, Beth's never driven the car. Beth never will drive the car. <laughs> there was one time she got in the car in the driver's seat, and she did the same thing that the kid did at the valet. She said, what do you do? Because you don't know. But an owner knows. Now, folks, that's how it works with the name of Jesus. Owners are supposed to know what it does. That's what John 14, 15, and 16 are about. It's about Jesus saying, here's what belongs to you. Now, please understand, the weakest Christian has the same access to the same power, the same rights, and the same privileges as the person that is the most experienced of the, of the Christians out there. The same things belong to us, but you've got to know. And I think, you, again, you judge this for yourself, but it seems so evident to me that the way that we use the name of Jesus is just evidence that we don't know what we've got. How can the devil stand against you when, Je when Christ lives in you? Yet we think that we plot along in life until we run into a hard place, a roadblock of some type, and then we say, in the name of Jesus, and hope that it moves. And then we plot around, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, we plot around to something else, get to another roadblock, another hindrance in life, and we say, okay, in the name of Jesus, and hope that it works there. Folks, that's not the way the name of Jesus works. It's not the way it works at all. Let's go back to the story here. Ananias and Sapphira was what we finished with. Look with me to... Uh, oh... Blah, 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 blah. Well, skip down with me to, to uh, verse 12. It says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's part of the temple. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. That must have been what uh, Ananias and Sapphira were trying to do. Join themselves to them means try to, be a try to have a place in ministry. Doesn't mean get saved, because it tells us believers were added to the Lord. But nobody tried to join themselves, make themselves an apostle or a great one in the church. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into streets and laid them on the beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Now, folks, I think that's a greater work. We never have any record that Jesus healed anybody by shadow in the four Gospels. Yet people are being healed by Peter's shadow. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Peter going by and letting the shadow fall on somebody saying, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus. Is that the way it is? Or is he just walking down the road and people are getting healed? He's just walking down the road and people are getting healed. Where's the name of Jesus at work here? The name of Jesus is in him. Just like it's in you. 
You are in Christ, which means the name of Jesus is in you, which means the power of the name of Jesus is, is in you and resident, is resident in you and working in you if you know who you are. Now, obviously, it won't work if we don't know who we are. The church, modern-day church world, is proof of that. That's why we developed this magic touch thing, magic phrase, thinking that somehow that's going to do it. Folks, if you don't know who you are, it's not going to work no matter what you say. Verse 16, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. In other words, it's not just working for the people in town. It's working for people that travel in from other towns. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, the high priest would rotate every few years, and so sometimes the Pharisees were in, in power, other times the Sadducees were in power. Now you've got a new high priest and a new Sadducee base or majority. And they were all filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life and turned them loose. Notice the angel didn't say, Make sure to use the name of Jesus. Verse 28, Here, well, I guess I better back up a verse. Uh, well, no, it says in verse 26, Then the captain went with the officers and took them and set them before the high priest and the council. And the council, high council asked them, verse 28, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Can I ask you another question? If their concern and their complaint is, you've got people mad at us because Jesus was crucified, you've got people mad at us because we're the ones that killed him, what have they been preaching? Jesus crucified. The high council, the high priest and the council delivered Jesus up to death. The Romans carried it out. Jesus is raised from the dead. And that's what the high council says equates to teaching in his name. Can you see that the name of Jesus is a lot bigger than just the magic phrase? That's the point I'm trying to make here. Verse 40. It tells us after Gamaliel tried to hold him off from doing any real damage to him. Verse 40 it says they agreed with him, Gamaliel. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they, com they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed, the de apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now what does that mean? It means very simply for being associated with Jesus. Over and over and over again, scripture after scripture shows us that the name equals Jesus. So if Jesus lives in you, then the name lives in you. Certainly there are times where you use the name of Jesus. Certainly there are times like Acts chapter 3, where the name of Jesus is used and identified specifically so that those that don't know Jesus hear about him and see the works that he does. But that's not necessary for you in your own life. You need to recognize that the name of Jesus and all the power that's behind that name is resident, working, and active in you every day, every moment of every day of your life for the rest of your time here on the earth. Let me show you one more. Look with me over to uh, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter, uh, I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 9, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 9 tells the story of both Peter and Paul. Paul, who's called Saul at that point in time, sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's waiting in town, as Jesus had instructed him to do. Ananias comes, lays hands on him, he receives his sight, and he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice it says in verse uh, 19, and when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then said, was Saul certain day with the disciples which were at Damascus. Verse 20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
First thing Peter did after eating enough to get healthy again, uh, after the three days without food or drink, after he received his sight, he began to preach Jesus and preach that he's the Son of God. Notice it says in verse 27, people were afraid of him. When they went to Jerusalem, they were afraid of him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken unto them and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Do you see that phrase? Now notice verse 20 says that he preached that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 27 says that he preached in the name of Jesus. Those have to be interchangeable terms, interchangeable meanings. This is the Holy Ghost giving us this record. So those have to mean the same thing. So recognizing or believing or proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God is the same thing as recognizing, proclaiming, or using the name of Jesus. How many of you believe Jesus is the Son of God? You're in the name of Jesus. That's the only way you got in the family of God was by believing Jesus was the Son of God and God raised him from the dead. You are in the name of Jesus. Everything you do, I don't care what kind of work you do, whether you work at the hospital, whether you work as a mechanic, whether you work at UPS, I don't care what kind of work you do, you are working in the name of Jesus because you live in the name of Jesus. Which means not just, well, I'm saved and my name's written down in heaven, thank God for that, but it means everything that belongs to the name of Jesus, everything that backs up all the power and all the authority that backs up the name of Jesus is resonant and active in you constantly. You know why the devil takes advantage of us? Because we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. How do we find out who we are? Through the Word. What do we do when we find out who we are? Through the Word. We act on it, and then it works. I, I wish the, the, I've been waiting for the, um, uh, uh, the individual, somebody in our church got a, a testimony of healing here just w over the last couple of weeks that, uh, that's terrific. They're off in, in school somewhere, and so uh, they're, they're not here all the time. But I've been hoping that I, they'd be here so I could tell you their testimony, but I'll just kind of give you the upshot of it. They've had some terrible muscle pain, uh, joint pain, uh, bone pain. I don't know what it was. But they've been in pain for about 10 years. And, boy, they've been struggling with it back and forth and just excruciating pain and so forth. Well, they got to talk, she got to talking to Beth, and Beth started telling her about some of the healing school uh, services and, and what to do and so forth. She very simply started putting the word to work, and now she's free. After a decade of pain, now she's pain-free. Well, what changed? Did she get saved? Was she not saved before and now she got saved and so God did something good for her? No. What changed? Did all of a sudden healing, which didn't belong to her for 10 years, now all of a sudden belong to her? No. What changed? What changed is what she found out from the Word belongs to her and what she acted on. That's the only thing that changed. Why didn't she do it 10 years ago? She could have. Why didn't she do it? Well, you tell me. Maybe she didn't know, maybe she didn't believe, maybe she wasn't at the place where it meant enough to her. Maybe she let it go thinking, well, this is just, you know, something that will work itself out. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I do know this. I know at the point that she found out what belonged to her in the name of Jesus and acted on it, she got supernatural and even spectacular results. The doctors had given up. The doctors didn't know what they could do for her. They said, well, this is something you're going to have to live with the rest of your life. But she doesn't. What changed? She didn't change. She changed her focus, perhaps. She adjusted her focus to who she is in Christ and what belongs to her and acted on it from the Word, but that's the only thing that changed. She had it all along. Why? Because she's in Christ. Because the Word belongs to her, just like it belongs to you. Why does the devil take advantage of us? Because we don't know who we are. The devil comes after us and we start running and saying, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Why don't we stand our ground and say, wait a minute, I'm in the name of Jesus. You come no further. I'm in the name of Jesus. Folks, I've got to tell you something. There are so many people, so many people that I'm looking at that are coming to, to have hands laid on them to be prayed for for healing. So many people that are looking for God to do something. If we say just one more prayer, then God, maybe God will hear that one. If we just do one more thing, if we lay hands on you one more time, then maybe that one will work. And they're discounting the fact that healing comes from within because they're in Christ. 
They're looking for God to do something instead of recognizing that, wait a minute, God has done something. He's in me. The healing power of God is in me. Therefore, sickness can't stay in my body. You know what that comes down to? That comes down to being in Christ. That comes down to being in Christ. One more, let me refer you to one more scripture. I don't care if you turn here or not. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and so forth. And then he concluded by saying, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Now, King James has a punctuation point in there, and it says, these signs shall follow them that believe, period, in my name. But that can't be what he's saying. Can't be what he's saying. It means these signs shall follow the believing ones in my name. In other words, the ones that believe in my name. He's talking about the signs accompanying the ones that believe in his name. Now, let me prove that to you. The first thing he says is they'll cast out devils. Right? The second thing he says is they'll speak with new tongues. Right? Do tongues only work when you say in the name of Jesus? How do tongues work? You speak them. In other words, you use what you have. Now, it's a faith proposition. Because you're going to say something, you don't know what it means, you don't, you don't know what it's going to sound like whenever it comes out of your mouth, but you're trusting for there to be utterance, Holy Ghost, supernatural utterance, there when you use your mouth and your tongue and your voice to speak out, right? So there's faith involved, but it's a different kind of faith. It's not, I believe I'll speak with tongues, I believe I'll speak with tongues, I believe I'll speak with tongues, like so many people try to use their faith in some ritual form. It's that you know what you have, so by faith you use it. Every bit of the power that's in the name of Jesus works the same way. Every bit of the power that's in the name of Jesus works the same way. To such a degree that many people have written, John Lake, E.W. Kenyon, both said, I don't need faith to use the name of Jesus. Well, they did, but it was a different kind of faith than they used for other things like receiving the answer to their prayers and so forth. It's such a natural thing. It's like getting in the car and starting to drive. I'm not conscious of turning the car on. It's the natural act of driving that powers up the car, and there I go. That's how the name of Jesus works. It doesn't work because you use the magic phrase. It works because you know who you are. It works because you know what belongs to you. It works because you are in Christ, and because I am in Christ, everything that belongs to that name belongs to me. When Jesus said, whatsoever you ask or call for or require in my name, that's what I'll do. He's saying, use it in a natural way, and I'll come through every time. Is this making any sense to you at all? I'm going to read one last scripture. I've said that three times now, I think. <laughs> at least I'm trying to close. How about that? Let me conclude with uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse, I think it's verse 27. We'll see. Yep. Well, let's back up to verse 26. It says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. He's writing that to Jews and Gentiles. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Please notice verse 27. If you've been baptized into Christ, that means saved. That doesn't mean water baptism. That means saved. It means the same thing Peter was talking about in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's saying, very simply, if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've been saved, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, whatever phrase or term you want to put it in, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have put on Christ. That means as far as God is concerned, it means as far as the devil is concerned, when they look at you, they see Jesus. You have every right to say, just like Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. You have every right, and I believe a responsibility, to recognize and to declare, he that has seen me has seen Jesus. Now when we say something like that, our mind goes tilt. 
Because they're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that, I, I can't possibly say that. That's blasphemous. Well, why is it blasphemous? Is it blasphemous to say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even though I may have stuff in my flesh I'm still deal, dealing with? Am I supposed to wait till I get everything cleaned up and then say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? No, I was made righteous when Jesus died and rose again from the dead. So whether I may be living up to it, whether I may look like it to you or to me or to anybody else, I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In the same way, whether I look like I'm, I'm doing what Jesus did, whether I'm living like Jesus would live if he was here in my place or not, the Bible says since I've been baptized into Christ, I've put on Christ. That means he that's seen me has seen Jesus. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If you'll start saying I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus while you're still dealing with stuff in your flesh, it'll cause you to live up to it. If you'll start saying he that has seen me has seen Jesus, before you live up to it, then you'll start living up to it. It's your confession that you'll either live up to or live down to. And the things that have kept us away from making statements like this because we think, oh, man, that's just, that's just blasphemous to say something like that, is the very key to us living up to who God uh, has designed and desired for us to be. Hello. Do you understand what I'm saying? For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, saved, have put on Christ. It doesn't matter what you look like to you. It doesn't even matter what you look like to the devil. It doesn't matter what you did today or last week. If you've been baptized into Christ, if you've been saved, you have put him on. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice how he concludes in verse 29. And look what belongs to you. Because you're in Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means there is no promise, earthly or heavenly, that has been made, either Old Testament or New Testament, that is not already yours. Healing, provision, peace, God's purpose for your life, His plan for you, what He's designed for you, whatever it is, Every bit of it, every single bit of it, not one thing of it left out, everything belongs to you because you're in Christ Jesus. Not because you've come out to be such a smart and such a strong faith person, but because you're in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul wrote to the church and said, whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus. In other words, in your everyday, daily activities, realize and recognize you are in the name of Jesus, which gives you a supernatural aspect to everything you say and everything you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we are in Christ. We have been baptized into Christ. We've been baptized in the name of Jesus. Therefore, the name is ours, and we put Jesus on. Father, we declare by faith, not by our feelings. We almost say it with trembling knees. We say that he that has seen me has seen Jesus. Because that's what you said, Father. Thank you, Lord, that as we grow in the knowledge of who we are, the knowledge of the power that's behind the name of Jesus, the name that's greater than every name, we thank you, Father, that we gain dominion over the evil one in every respect, every aspect of our lives. Satan, because we are in Christ Jesus, because that name belongs to us, we declare that there, we give you no place we refuse to allow you any place in our lives. We command that you take your hands off of our bodies. Take your hands off of our finances. Take your hands off of our families in Jesus' name. We are in Christ Jesus. That is a hedge that you cannot break. And we refuse to give you entrance. In the precious and holy name of Jesus. Because that's our Lord and Savior. Because that's who we're in. The name that's above every name is ours. Amen.